You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. Good morning, Cities Church. So great to be with you. Uh, In the summer of 2008, I spent two months in the nation of Thailand. I was uh, working for a missions organization leading short-term mission trips and my assignment that summer was to lead 80 high school students for Thai- to Thailand for two months. It was quite an adventure. And since we were there over the course of the entire summer, and we were there uh, over the 4th of July, uh, we, uh, we had a chance to participate in an event at the American Consulate in Chiang Mai, in the northern part of the country. I learned that at the American consulates, they do, uh, consulates, they do these events for American expats. Uh, and apparently, there are a lot of American expats living in northern Thailand. I I didn't realize this. So on Independence Day in 2008, we went to the consulate and we got a chance to have lots of fun food. It was great festivities, talked to lots of people. And I got a chance to have a long conversation with one of the employees there at the consulate. And he started telling me about all the things he had learned about Thai culture in the years he had lived there. He's telling me about all the fun places to go, the cool vacation spots, the best restaurants. He's telling me about the culture, politics, history. It was quite insightful. He went on and on and on. It was mostly interesting. Uh, But he also then felt the need to warn me about a few things. Uh, He's looking at me in mid-20s and figured, I need to warn you on some of these things. He began to warn me about some of the various temptations and pitfalls that uh, many Americans fall into in Thailand. And began to tell me some really disturbing stories. And he also began to tell me about several scams that a lot of Americans had fallen victim to that year in Thailand. And he said to me, the problem is a lot of Americans come here and they forget who they are. He says to me, don't forget, you're not Thai. You're in this country, but don't forget, you're not one of them. If you do something stupid, you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt. That's what he told me. A lot of Americans come over here, they forget who they are, and that gets them in trouble, this guy said. And here I am 13 years later, and I've never forgotten what he told me that day. Because I think the sentiment that that man at the American consulate that day was trying to give me is a sentiment not all that different than what the Apostle Peter is giving us here in this letter. The man was simply saying to me, because you know your real citizenship, that should inform how you behave abroad. And ultimately, Peter is saying something similar. He says, because you know your real heavenly citizenship, that should impact how you live now in this age. The Apostle Peter is talking to Christians and he's saying, don't forget, you're in exile. You are are a sojourner. You're not one of them. Don't behave like them, is in essence what the Apostle Peter is saying. You may live in this land, but don't forget, you are not a citizen of the city of man. You are a citizen of the city of God. As we read this letter from Peter, he's reminded, of, reminded us of some incredible truths. He's reminded us that we have a living hope. And we can be confident in this living hope because we know that we were foreknown by God. That God chose us in eternity past. Not because of anything we did, but because of his great love for us. And God caused us to be born again. 
As Pastor Jonathan said a few weeks ago, we had as much to do with our spiritual birth as we did with our physical birth. And then Peter tells us that we are now a holy priesthood. As Pastor Ryan said last week, we now get to be the ones through whom God mediates his blessings for the world. We get to be the ones that declare the excellencies of Christ. Similar like the man in Thailand was telling me, Peter in essence is saying, don't forget your identity. If you do, it'll get you in trouble. In this letter, Peter has reminded us of some incredible truths up to this point. And now in light of those truths, the apostle Peter gives us several exhortations. And that's where we pick up this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. If you have your Bibles, look there with me. Verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. This is the first exhortation from Peter to us in light of these great truths. He says, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Pretty straightforward, right? Then Peter describes the passions of the flesh. Is how he describes them. Look at the second half of verse 11. He says, they wage war against your soul. The passions of your flesh are waging war. They are proactively and strategically looking for ways to destroy you. Genesis 4, 7 says this. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. When I hear the word crouching, I think of a lion in the plains of Africa crouching down, sneaking up on a gazelle, an unsuspecting gazelle, ready to pounce and have his next meal. That's what sin is like. I am, I am concerned that many Christians think that sin is passive. I am concerned that many Christians are like the unsuspecting gazelle, just enjoying the moment, drinking at the water hole, as if there's no threat, as if nothing is out to get them. Friends, the passions of the flesh, they are waging war against you. Act accordingly. Submit to the commands of God. Sin is not passive. It is proactive in its quest to destroy you, which means we must be proactive in our quest to destroy sin in our lives. We cannot be passive. This is why the writer of Hebrews says this, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Another English translation says it this way, let us get rid of the sin that clings so closely. Oh, it's right there. <clears throat> Imagine this. Imagine tomorrow morning you hear your cell phone ring, ringing and you answer the phone and it's me. And I'm like, hey, I'm parked out in front of your house. After you're like, okay, that's weird. Why are you calling me from my front of my house? Like, after you got over that, you'd be like, what's up? What if I said to you, hey, there's a lion outside of your driveway. You're not going to be able to see it when you come out. It's hiding behind the bushes. But it's crouching there, and it desires to have you. It desires to have you for its next meal. That would impact how you exited your house that day. The Bible tells us sin is like this. And so many of us 
don't take this warning. And it doesn't impact how we live our lives. It doesn't impact how we enter this world. Friends, I implore you, act accordingly. The passions of your flesh wage war against your soul. So that's the first exhortation from Peter here. The next one, Peter says, is to behave honorably. Look with me at verse 12. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Peter is alluding to the fact that there are going to be people in this world that mock you, that attack you, that speak ill of you. There's going to be people who treat you unfairly in this life. But Peter says, even when they do that, keep your conduct honorable. Trust God. Trust that God will use your honorable behavior as the means of declaring his own glory through you to the unbelievers watching you. So those are the first two exhortations from Peter. Number one, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Number two, keep your conduct honorable. Let's look at the next one in verse 13. Peter says this, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him. Submit to the human institutions. So let's pause for a second and ask ourselves, what what are these human institutions? In essence, any power structure, any, any framework where one human has authority over another human is in essence one of these human institutions that Peter is saying we ought to submit ourselves to. And so in our society, that looks like the president of the United States, the governor of Minnesota, the mayor of whatever city you are in, police officers, other law enforcement officials, If you're a college student, your professors and the faculty. If you have a job, your boss. If you live in a neighborhood like my wife and I do with an HOA, like it or not, the HOA is an institution with authority. (laughs) They can tell you what color to paint your house and not paint your house. They have that authority. That is a human institution to which we must submit ourselves. Now, let's be honest. Many of us don't like the word submit. When you, when you hear that word submit, you kind of bristle a little bit. I don't know, but maybe, maybe I'm the only one. I just bristle just a tad bit. Submission is not exactly like an American word. Uh, in the United States, we, in our culture, we sort of value things like autonomy and freedom and rugged individualism and absolute egalitarianism, liberty, don't tread on me. We value these ideas and concepts a lot. We live in a society where people want to do what they want to do with no accountability. People don't want to submit to anything. We live in a society where people say things like, you do you, boo. This drive for autonomy is very dangerous. I could give you plenty of examples from the scripture, but we don't have to go very far. We only have to go a few pages into the book of Genesis before we find a great example. The drive for autonomy is precisely what got Adam and Eve in trouble in the Garden of Eden. God says to them, you can eat fruit from any of these trees except this one. He gives, you, gives one restriction. Satan comes along, and in Genesis chapter 3, he says to the woman, you know, do you know why God gave you that restriction? Here's why. Here's what he says in Genesis 5, chapter 3, verse 5. God knows that when you do eat of the fruit, your eyes will be opened 
and you will be like God. You see the temptation from Satan there? Don't submit yourself to God's ways. God's ways. Instead, become like God. But listen, don't depend on God and do what he tells you to do. Become like him so that you can be the boss. Don't, don't submit yourself to the divine. Pursue your own divinity. That's the temptation. And so in your striving for independence, be careful that you don't cross over into striving for your own divinity. Submission to authority helps us. It, it tempers our drive for autonomy. Submitting ourselves is a good thing. Submission and the accountability that comes along with submission, it humbles us. And it keeps us in check. Submission to authority is a good thing. And it is a great instrument for sanctification in our lives. Submission and accountability are good for us. And it's contrary to what our flesh wants. Peter then begins to connect our honorable conduct to those who would try to silence us or attack us. Look at verse 15. Peter says this, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This is God's will, to silence other people with our honorable conduct. I don't know about you, I, uh, I am a little bit of a trash talker. <clears throat> when I play basketball or tic-tac-toe, whatever, it doesn't matter, I'm kind of a trash talker. And, uh, and you would think I'm really good at stuff by the way I trash talk, because I'm not. Like I get on the basketball court and I'm like talking smack and then I, I lose like, all the time, I'm not good. And um, I so often like, want to shut someone up, someone who's like talking smack but, like, by being better than them, um, but I'm not able to do it. So often when someone attacks us, we want to attack back. And Peter's like, that, that's actually not how we silence our critics. See, that's how the world does it. The world attacks and, and they attack back. They punch back. But when we get punched, actually the way we respond is with honorable conduct, with submission. That's actually how we fight our battles. People are going to speak ill of you. The way to shut them up is not by fighting back or attacking back but it is by humbling ourselves and letting our honorable conduct do the talking. <clears throat> Let me give you an example. Uh, before I moved to Minnesota, I was a uh, youth and young adult pastor in Orlando, Florida. And uh, while I was pastoring there, uh, one of the young adult ladies in our church uh, and her roommates were moving across town, so she recruited a crew of dudes from our church, about 10 guys, to come help her move. And so... Uh, we all showed up at the house there, and the morning I arrived at the apartment, I met her two roommates, and both of them were unbelievers. They were not, not Christians, and it, beca <clears throat> it became very clear to me by one of the t-shirts that one of the girls was wearing that she and I did not share the same theological opinions. Uh, it became very clear to me, specifically around uh, sexual ethics. We clearly did not agree, but it was so cool. I, I didn't say anything about it. We were got along great. We helped them move. We loaded up the truck, moved across town, unloaded it. And then uh, at lunchtime, you know, we were done. We were having pizza, hanging out. Right before I left uh, their apartment, I had to use the restroom. So I make my way down the hallway, their new apartment, to, toward the bathroom there. And, um, <clears throat> and as I walked down the hall, I could hear the girl who had been wearing the t-shirt talking to her mother on the phone. I wasn't trying to eavesdrop. I was trying not to, but it was kind of unavoidable in the hallway. 
Maybe I slowed down just a bit. I don't know. And, uh, and her mom, and so I hear her talking to her mom, and she says, yeah, mom, these Christians came over and they helped us move. Yeah, can you, can you believe it? They helped me. And, and you could tell there was, there was a little bit of a silence, and I could tell by the, by, the, by the young woman's response that her mother must have asked her, why are you surprised by them helping you move? Why, why is that surprising to you? Um, and she said this, I, I'll never forget it. She said, well, you know, because, you know, like they hate the gays and stuff. Because that quote. They hate the gays and stuff. And she goes, she goes, but mom, these guys were so nice. It, it struck me. Um, and my friend, uh, the young lady who was in our church, told us that for several weeks she talked about how these Christian guys that showed up and helped her move, and she was so, so shocked by it because she had a particular idea of what Christians were like. Christians, when our behavior is honorable, regardless of the stereotypes or the reputations, regardless of the disdain that people have for us, regardless of what that is, when we are honorable in our behavior, it shows them who we really are. And more importantly, it shows them who our God really is. It proclaims the excellencies of Christ to them. Listen, in the age in which we live, those of us who believe the Bible, we're going to be hated. Those of us who refuse to believe that we all evolved from a single cell organism by accident, those of us who actually believe that Adam and Eve and Noah and Moses were real, those of us who believe there was a real flood and that God really did part the Red Sea, those of us who believe those types of things, we are going to be mocked in this age. People are going to say, you're a bunch of bigots, you're oppressive, you're backwards, you're anti-intellectual. They're going to say things, you're on the wrong side of history, you're impeding progress in society. Those are the types of things that are going to be said about us. Here's how we put them to silence. Not by fighting back, not by tweeting, no, not by angry blogging. This is how we do it. We put them to silence with honorable conduct. Peter follows this up. He follows this section up with four simple exhortations in verse 17. He says this, honor everyone. Honor everyone, not just those who benefit me, not just people who I like or people who honor me back. Honor Everyone, love the brotherhood. Love the people of God, the people you worship with. Love them. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Notice it says honor the emperor, not fear the emperor. We fear God. We don't fear the emperor the way we fear God, but we honor and respect the emperor. We are going to get attacked in this age. Here's how we respond. By honoring everyone, loving the brotherhood, fearing God, honoring the emperor. Those are the tools in our tool belt. Those are the weapons of our warfare. When they attack us, that's how we respond. Side note, honoring the emperor does not mean you have to agree, agree with the emperor. You don't have to agree with the emperor. It's okay to disagree with the government. It's okay. In fact, there are moments where it's appropriate for us to prophetically rebuke ideas that are being propagated amongst our, our uh, elected officials. But when we talk about the government and politicians and law enforcement, the way we talk about them should seem different than how the world talks about them. 
I've seen so many Christians on social media the last few months just being straight mean when they talk about the government or politicians or the police officers in our community. I expect this from unbelievers. I expect it. But from Christians, we should have no part of that. It's perfectly appropriate to disagree with government officials, but there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And when we speak about politicians and the government, government officials and law enforcement, it should be noticeably different. It should be far more gracious. Furthermore, I'd say this. Maybe you've never said anything publicly. Maybe you've never talked about it. Maybe you've never tweeted about it. <clears throat> but what, what's going on in your heart? Because God can see that. And if in your heart you're harboring bitterness or anger toward government officials or against a leader or a boss or the cops or a teacher, if you're harboring some bitterness inside, you're not honoring them. And maybe we don't see it, but certainly the Spirit of God does. Church, let's be honorable in the way we engage with our government and our leaders, outwardly and inwardly. Let's honor them. Even with the leaders we don't like. Side note number two, I, I, wasn't, I didn't think I was going to address it, but I just feel like we have to, right? Our call to honor the government doesn't mean we never disobey the government. There are perfectly appropriate times for us to say that law or that piece of legislation is something we as believers cannot abide by. And therefore, we must disobey the government. When the laws of man and the laws of God collide, we choose God over government. This happened to Peter actually himself, the guy who wrote this letter. This happened to him. Multiple times he was arrested and beaten uh, in the book of Acts. And in one particular case, he was arrested again alongside with the apostle John. And the authorities are like in Acts chapter 5, didn't we tell you to stop preaching Jesus? And here's how Peter and John respond. We must obey God rather than human beings. We have to. So there is biblical precedent for this. There are actually several biblical examples for this. Actually, Pastor Joe preached about this uh, during our Exodus series back in the fall of 2019. Pharaoh had given a command. He said every Hebrew son was to be killed. But there were two midwives, uh, Shifra and Pua. They disobeyed Pharaoh's orders. They refused to kill the Hebrew sons. They disobeyed Pharaoh's orders. And in doing so, they honored God. There are plenty of biblical examples where people say, I see your command, but I see a, an authority higher than you. So I'm going to disobey this one because I see this one. There are examples for that. But here's what you don't see in any of the biblical examples of people disobeying the government. You never see a cavalier attitude. You don't see a maverick spirit. You don't see a you-do-you you type of attitude. In all of those examples, there is a clear God-honoring motivation. So often I've seen people, mostly on social media, say things like, well, it's time for us to disobey the government. I'm being like Peter and John. And I think to myself, no, you're not. Your attitude is nothing like Peter and John's. Yes, there are times to disobey the government, but we better be very careful. We tread lightly in that zone. We don't take that lightly. That should never be our first instinct. When we hear a government official say something we're not so sure about, the first instinct shouldn't be, okay, we're going to disobey. We, no, we, we, we pause. We prayerfully and cautiously consider that. 
We don't just jump the gun. And I think I've seen that. If you shudder when someone says submission, or your first inclination is to always question the government, if, if your first instinct is to try to skirt the system or figure out a way to have less accountability from, from government systems in your life, if that's your go-to and you refuse to humble yourself, if your strongest inclination is to fight against authority, if you don't like submitting yourself to leaders and you refuse to do so, you're not being like Peter and John. You're being a lot more like Adam and Eve. Peter continues... He continues with the same sentiment. In verse 18, he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Church, we don't only, only submit to the good leaders, we submit to all of them, even the bad leaders. When I, it's easy to actually submit to the ones that I like. If I have a boss I like, if there's a president in office that I voted for, championing policy, policies I like, Submission is easy in that That's not hard. Everyone does that. Unbelievers do that. We're no different than them in that case. But when there's a politician you don't like, that you didn't vote for, when there's a boss you don't like that treats you unfairly, how do you respond to that person? That's the real test. When there's a leader that you think is irrational or incompetent or tyrannical or crass or overly boisterous or arrogant or Marxist, whatever it may be, when you have those opinions of a particular leader, how you respond to that person in that moment is actually the true test of the level of humility in your heart and mind. How do you respond to those leaders is what matters. <clears throat> Church, I promise you there will be moments in your life where you have a leader that treats you unjustly. I promise you it will happen. You will have a leader that treats you unfairly. Peter tells us we submit ourselves even to those guys. If someone mistreats you, we endure it, and we endure it well because the honorable conduct is what proclaims the excellencies of Christ. Peter says this is pleasing to God. Okay, so let's, let's recap. These are Peter's exhortations to us. Ready? Number one, abstain from the passion of the flesh. Number two, keep your conduct honorable. Number three, be willing to submit. Number four, honor everyone. Number five, love the brotherhood. Number six, fear God. Number seven, honor the emperor. And he tells us why we ought to live this way. He gives us these exhortations, and then he reminds us why these exhortations matter. He says, because that's what Jesus did. He ties these to the behavior of, of Jesus himself. The reasons we behave honorably, even when we're treated unfairly, is because Jesus behaved honorably, even when he was treated unfairly. He humbled himself and submitted. We ought to humble ourselves and submit. Look at verse 21, he says this. For this, for this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. He was reviled, but he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is our example. 
He was mistreated. And yet he never lied, never slandered, never mistreated someone in return. He never made threats. He never said, hashtag not my emperor. He didn't say that. He was reviled and he did not revile in return. When we emulate Jesus, it demonstrates that we truly trust, trust God. Look at, look, at the, look at the final part of verse 23 again. It says that Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. God judges justly. God has never been unfair in his dealings with us. Sometimes human leaders, we judge unjustly. Sometimes human leaders, we fail, but ultimately our trust is not in human leaders. We trust the one who always judges justly. That is God himself. You see, if, if you don't really believe in God, like if, if your fate is in the hands of a leader, when the leader is unjust, you have no choice but to fight. You have no other hope. You have to fight back. You have to interject. You have to say something. Because your, 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 your destiny is on the line. But for those of us who know that our destinies are, destinies are not decided by a human leader, those of us who know that, that he commands our destinies, we don't, we don't have to have the obligation to fight against every unjust leader. We don't. He is our final decision maker. He determines our destinies. He has the final word. And he always judges justly. So we don't have to fight our own fights. We can subject ourselves willingly, joyfully, submit ourselves even to the bad leaders because we know their bad leadership doesn't determine our final destination. Jesus determined that. The Father determined that when, when he foreknew us in eternity past. And when we do this, we are emulating Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus did when he was standing before Pontius Pilate. In John 19, Jesus is before Pontius Pilate, and, and Pilate says to him, don't you realize I have the power to free you or crucify you? And Jesus responds, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus is saying, my paraphrase, I know you think you call the shots, Pilate, Actually, I know the one who actually calls the shots. I know, I know him, Pilate, but Jesus still humbles himself. He submits himself. Jesus makes it clear that he believes he's not before Pilate because Pilate is so powerful. He is standing before Pilate because God is so powerful and God has allowed this moment to take place. So Jesus humbly submits himself to the will of the Father. And of course, the Father has a great purpose here, and we know what that is, the redemption of God's people, the salvation of those whom the Father foreknew. This leads us to the last two verses we'll look at this morning, verses 24 and 25. <clears throat> Speaking of Jesus, it says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds... You have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer 
of your soul. We were once far away from God. But believers, we are now close to God because of what Christ has done for us. Christ took our sins in his body so that we could be reconciled back to God. Jesus humbled himself and submitted so that we could be reconciled to the Father. We were enemies of God. We were on God's bad side. We were on the naughty list. We were, we were righteously and rightly headed for hell. But God, being rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love, God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. Jesus came and he suffered wounds, as Peter says. And these wounds were suffered so that he could heal the brokenness between us and the Father. And this brings us to the table. Every single week we come to this table and we do it to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ, the man of sorrows, God incarnate, he loved us and died for us. As we partake in this meal this morning, remember what Christ has done for you. And may it inspire you to willingly submit. May it inspire you to humble yourself and follow in the footsteps of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. In just a moment, our, our pastors are going to come. They're going to pass out these elements, the, the bread and the, the juice. These are symbols for the blood and body of Christ. This meal is open to anyone here who is a believer. If you are a follower of Christ, this meal is open for you. However, if you are here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, if you are here and you're not sure that you are a genuine follower of Christ, I would encourage you, let the elements pass. And instead of taking this meal with us this morning, I encourage you, I implore you, take Christ instead. If you have any questions about that, please come forward to talk to us. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to, to be a Christian. For all the believers in the room, fellow exiles, fellow citizens of the city of God, fellow sojourners, we invite you to partake. This is the true bread and the true blood. Let us serve you.